Hey everyone, this is the MedTech Talk Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Tom Salemi. I'm happy to have you here. Also happy to be speaking with today's guest. Our guest is Dr. Justin Barat. He is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, but he also has a bioengineering degree and a, a background in gaming, which you know isn't, isn't unusual these days, but he's been able to really combine the three into leading, starting and leading this company called OsoVR. Also, VR is developing a virtual reality-based system for uh, training on uh, right, currently orthopedic devices, but they're going to move into other specialties. And it's a, it's a really unique blend of med tech and gaming and uh, just, just sales and software. So I, I really enjoyed Justin's enthusiasm. He's got a great story as to how he found his way into medicine and a great story as to how he decided to or why he decided to start also VR. Uh, they've raised some money recently. They're uh, getting some traction and working with some big companies. So it will be a company to keep an eye on. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Justin. You can go to the company's website, osovr.com. That's O-S-S-O-V-R.com. And check out a video so you get a sense of, of what we're talking about, what, this, what the system looks like. And you also, of course, get to see the team and it's a it's a real diverse uh, team or a team with a, a, a wide range of backgrounds in uh, in medical uh, in medtech in medicine and uh, in gaming. So it's a unique company, one that we'll be keeping an eye on, and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with Justin. All right, well, Justin Barad, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much. Happy to be here. Great. It, this is a, a, a unique company. Your company is also VR, and uh, it's. I'll, I'll actually let you describe it. But we haven't really talked a lot about virtual reality on the podcast. But it's clearly uh, something we have been discussing at our conferences, and uh, you're just seeing out uh, out there in the uh, in the media and in the in the med tech world. Give us. I want to get into your background, but I think to sort of uh, kick this off. I really want to give people an understanding of what, what your company does and uh, and give a little bit of its history. So what are, what's the origin and the intention of OsoVR? Well, uh, you know, the the origin story is pretty interesting. It starts quite a while back. I actually, uh, I started out my career wanting to get into game development. Um, and I was just very interested in programming and game technology and as I neared the end of high school, some family members started having some health problems. And I was interested in how do I use this knowledge and these abilities to help people? So I moved into biomedical engineering in college. And then at that point, um, I felt like I wanted to be an inventor of technology. And a mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Henry Lin, who's a gastroenterologist, told me um, pretty wisely now in retrospect that um, to invent something, you need to know what the problems are. And then, you know, inventions are the answers to those problems. So he thought the best way to do it was to be on the front lines as a physician and kind of see what was facing providers and patients every day. So may I ask, I, uh, I'm just curious, may I ask, how, how old are you? I'm it, it, To be in a point where you can consider gaming a career, and I'm in my late 40s, so I'm dating myself, but is that a legitimate uh, career path that you were obviously considering and then veered from to go into to healthcare, which is obviously another very great career path. Oh, yeah. Actually, I, I was working at Activision while I was in high school. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm, I'm 34 currently. So it's kind of right, uh, right before that really big inflection point uh, in gaming. That's amazing. 
I've never heard of that uh, of that transition, but uh, you're you were uh, you were ahead of the curve, and, and clearly this kind of skill set is is much needed now. So continue. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I was kind of curious as to to when that came together. Uh yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah, so uh, I I took his followed his advice to the T. Uh, I went to medical school at UCLA. Um, then I stayed there to do my orthopedic surgery training. And, uh, uh, if, if you like the uh, Legos or any form of construction or wood shop growing up, uh, orthopedic surgery is just the coolest thing. Cause it's basically <laughs> those skills, but putting people back together. Um, so it's immensely gratifying and lots of cool technology. Um, and it was just, you know, on a day to day basis, I, I would kind of, there would always be some new device and people would be like, Oh, let's try this new thing. And, Initially, I'd always be very excited because I'm like, yeah, I want to try out this new technology. And then just imagine like putting together a piece of Ikea furniture for the first time. And it's not really too different. Um, you know, I was kind of horrified to find that like I'd be sitting at a computer reading the instructions out loud or we'd have the instructions folded out on a patient um, while, you know, some sales rep is trying to help us through. And, you know, we're all trying to figure out how this device works and put it inside, you know, this person and you know, in the back of my mind, sometimes I'd be like, you know, this is a, a human being. I don't think they'd be very happy if they knew what the situation was. No, you, and so, you, you don't want them looking up at that point and seeing you with a real yeah. map. <laughs> yeah, you should really ask your surgeon how many times they've used, not just done a surgery, but used the device that they're using because it's a, it's a subtle difference. So, you know, I saw that happening all the time. And there's one case where, you know, something kind of went wrong because of a device-related complication that really stuck with me to this day. And I just couldn't believe that this is how we learned to use complex medical technology. And with newer things coming down the road, um, a lot of the guests on your show have been talking about it, like navigation, robotics, automated surgery, patient-specific implants. These things are exponentially more complicated than things we've used in the past. Um, and if you look at just any of the data, it, it's it's not a very subtle difference in terms of uh, patient outcomes and safety. And so I always talk about anterior hip replacement as it's a pretty straightforward procedure when you think about it, but, um, you know, the first 20 to 25 patients you do it to, they have a 300% higher revision rate. And that doesn't just mean like a complication, like an infection or something. It means a second surgery. So it's a pretty big deal. Wow. And it takes about 50 to a hundred uh, patients before you reach sort of like a steady state of like, uh, you know, those, that patient is going to do as well as they can do. So um, in terms of how we currently learn to use these devices, uh, they'll fly us out to a cadaver lab where, you know, you get a lecture and you get hands-on uh, experience. Um, and it's pretty good. And, and, and those are great. Um, they're pretty expensive for these device companies. They can spend two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 for a single course. Um, but then that's it. And it's not like the next day you're operating on a person. It's, it's about four to six months, actually, on average now, because this whole value analysis committee process is really spread out the length of time it takes to get a device approved and then you have to find the right patient. So then, uh, you know, you're walking to the OR and you've done this thing once six months ago um, and you haven't really practiced at all in between. And I just can't think of any sort of equivalent in like a high risk profession, like, uh, you know, if you're an astronaut or a pilot uh, or even just a, you know, performance sports, like if you're an athlete or a musician where you just don't, practice for six months straight like you know it's just it's pretty intuitive things probably aren't going to go as well as they could i think there's, so a, there's just a i mean that's oh, great there's a great that's a great point i mean i think there's just an assumption that once you're taught it you, you're set you're good to go all right slapping the back now get in the game kind of thing but uh but obviously practice makes more perfect yeah you, so practice makes perfect doesn't just isn't an expression we use very often an expression we do use is 
see one, do one, teach one, um, which is like taken quite literally, which is a bit shocking to me because you know that's definitely not based on educational science. Um, but you know, people assume that if you've seen a procedure once, you should kind of start doing it. Um, so anyway, so lots of interesting stuff going on in the hospital. I could go on and on about it, but. Uh, during this time, uh, VR actually kind of had a bit of a renaissance uh, with the Kickstarter of the Oculus Rift, and I was still very active in my gaming roots, and you know, I coded on the side, made mods for some games. So I got a VR headset myself, um, and there's actually there's this discontinued hand controller that you could kind of find somewhere on eBay, and you know, I read you could connect it to the headset so you could get your hands in the VR experience. And the second I did that, it was just it was very transformative, and you know, it feels like it was yesterday especially because in VR, it's not a memory of something that you watched or kind of passively uh, kind of observed, but something that you did. So I remember doing this thing where I was in this villa in Tuscany, picking up furniture and throwing it around. And I just knew that this problem that had been disturbing me and I'd been seeing every day that there was this amazing solution. And it wasn't uh, an idea for down the road. It was, it could do it today. I felt like it had passed the threshold uh, of sort of fidelity that it needed to. And, you know, it just cost like uh, a thousand, or I mean, at that time, it was just a few hundred dollars. So it just seemed like, I'm like, wow, this is a no brainer. I can't wait till somebody does this. And then I realized, you know, you, you have this moment a few times in your life, I think, where I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I could do something. So that was really the origin of the company is just kind of living and breathing a problem. And then, uh, you know, finding the right solution for it. And so I, I made the first version uh, of this concept I had, which was a virtual medical device training platform. So instead of surgeons having to find time away from their families to go to these courses, we'd bring the course to the surgeon. Um, and you know, my goal is to increase access to newer medical technology, which I felt was gonna make patients do better, but to do so in a safe way. Um, and so that was the, the sort of story behind the company. And uh, we incorporated, uh, last August, uh, so it's almost a year old now. And so I built the first version myself, and then I met a professional game developer from Electronic Arts, uh, Matt Newport, and he had been wanting to get into serious VR, and he quit like a pretty awesome job just to pursue virtual reality. So when I showed him what what uh, I had, we uh, joined forces and just snowballed from there. So how did the, this is one of those companies that really um, falls, I don't want to say it falls between the cracks, but it lands on, on many different elements of healthcare, of, of med tech, of, of uh, providers, of, of uh, IT. How are you sort of positioning this company? Is it, is it an educational company? Is it a, a medical technology company? Uh, is it something else? How, how are you positioning this company with investors and with people you talk to? I think we really embrace that sort of multi-interdisciplinary aspect of this space. Mm -hmm. um, and we really enjoy living in different buckets because um, we're really able to pull the leaders from all these different worlds together and collaborate on something that uh, just touches so many parts of everybody that, you know, uh, everybody has to have surgery at some point or knows someone that does. And so it's very easy for people to relate to this uh, sort of problem and, and what we're doing at the company. So it's been really cool. Um, so, you know, we live in different buckets. We, li we live in the tech world. Uh, we live in the gaming world, uh, digital health, medical device, um, and just clinical medicine. So it's, it's been really great because just, uh, you know, we get to get a lot of exposure to some interesting minds and, uh, and 
to be very flexible as a company. In terms of just uh, our business model, um, it, it's definitely a, a training tool. It's, it's educational collateral um, that device companies can use to ensure that their products have uh, kind of compressed their learning curves and have better outcomes and, and uh, uh, more proper usage out in the field, um, which for them will lead to improved adoption rates. So there's kind of a phenomenon that goes on that they call one and done. Mm-hmm. So um, you just imagine that a, a surgeon, you know, it, it takes it takes a leap for a surgeon to use new technology. We're, we're relatively conservative, even though we can be cowboys sometimes, but we never want to put patients at risk. So we take that leap. We take the time to, to learn a device, to bring it to a patient. And if that procedure doesn't go well, it takes a really long time, or the patient has a complication, God forbid, um, you know, it's it's not going to sit well with that surgeon, and he's gonna he's gonna want to be like, you know, I'm gonna stick with something safe that I know that the patient's gonna uh, do okay with. So um, it's actually very hard as a device company to get new and very promising technology out there because of this phenomenon. And so the key to avoiding that is closing the course to case gap by by reinforcing that space between a course and first time inpatient use mm-hmm. with high quality training experiences. You can ensure that that case is gonna go well. Um, so that's what we're we're really able to to provide for patients and providers and and for device companies. And so, especially with some of the market dynamics happening right now, you might be familiar with some of the the push for value uh, is leading this this sort of convergence uh, that people call the commoditization phenomenon, where everything is starting to look pretty similar and it's kind of hard to differentiate. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes the only difference between devices is really the technique uh, involved at this point. Um, so. In order for a company to stand out, you know, you just want to show that your patients are going to do better than, you know, device company X's patients uh, because you have access to this training and you're able to get up to speed so quickly and uh, add a little bit of liquidity to this space. Because right now, based on, you know, what I've seen and what I've heard in the field is that what someone is just exposed on during their training um, or whatever device they select very early in their career, they just cling to that because that's what they know. That's what their patients are going to do well with, but that may not be the best device for them or their patient, but there's no real way for them to explore the different options to see what would be the best uh, because of this issue that you can't really jump from device to device. Well, let's, let's look internally at your company for a second. What is the state of your company? Um, are you commercial and, and what exactly are, are you selling? Is it a, is it a, is it something, is it a program? Is it, is it, is it a, um, a headset is it a headset with with handles that you use? What what are you what what are your products? So we're a software company. So we we make uh, VR training software for medical devices. Um, we're um, basically finishing up our first pilot uh, with uh, you know top five orthopedic device manufacturer, um, and we're in discussions with uh, kind of all the major players. Um, so our customers are medical device companies, and our users are surgeons, sales reps, and OR staff. Um, we're, you know, VR is an interesting space because there is this hardware component. So uh, I would say we're a software and services company. Um, not only do we make the custom content, but we facilitate its distribution into the field um, by providing support. Uh, we lease the VR units um, and uh, just make sure that, you know, our customers and uh, healthcare providers are getting the best software experience they can. Uh, another aspect of what we do is we validate the content that we create. So uh, right now, we have two research studies uh, that are underway. One is at UCLA and another is at uh, County Hospital Ventura. Um, the results are 
not subtle and very shocking. And it, it's just amazing how quickly people learn from this modality. Um, the muscle memory transfers over and very high retention. So uh, <laughs> I have a, we just uh, we just ran a medical student through the other day. He doesn't even know uh, what the surgery is that we're teaching or has never seen it before. Uh, but you watch the video of him just doing VR for a little bit and then doing the real world procedure. And you would think he had been doing it for years. It's, it's, uh, it's just a really different way of learning. And not only does it lead to skill improvement, but it's incredibly efficient. It really only takes a few minutes in VR uh, to get that big shift. So to jump back to your question, um, we make custom content. We help roll that content out into the field and then provide support for it as well. So, you're, we'll talk about that study for a second that produced those uh, those startling results. What were you What were you studying, and, and can you share a little? Can you share the results? What were uh, What were the findings? Yeah, well, the studies are still uh, underway, so we, I, I don't have the results to share for you. I just have some early subjective data and, and some of the you know kind of our observations uh, from viewing some of the videos so far. Um, so there are lots of different ways to validate a simulator to show that. Uh, it's working as intended. And some of the more interesting and easy to relate to ways are what's called transferability. So this is a metric that shows that by using a simulator, you get real world skill improvement. So what we're doing is we're doing a, a randomly, uh, randomly controlled trial, randomized controlled trial, uh, which is also blinded. And we're taking two groups. Uh, one group is training off of a technique guide, which is kind of the IKEA instruction manual I was talking about before, which is really kind of all we have right now. And the other group is training in VR. After those two groups do their training, they go into a room um, and they do the procedure. And in the room is an observer who has uh, an objective sort of scoring sheet um, that is based off of the objective structured assessment tool set, uh, which is a valid way to objectively score a surgical performance. Um, that person doesn't know if they did a VR training or if they did the technique guide. And then what we're hoping to show is that people who did the VR training improved more uh, than the group that did uh, the non-VR training. There's another very interesting element that not a lot of people look at uh, that we're seeking to prove with VR, which is my big hypothesis here. Um, let's say that, you know, just for the sake of argument, that if you watch a video, you're going to get just as much skill improvement as if you did VR training. But let's say in order for you to get that out of a video, you need to watch it for an hour. And a lot of the videos that, that I watch for surgical training, yeah, they could be an hour to two hours because surgeries are that long. Uh, but say that for VR training, it's five to 10 minutes. So you would say that VR training would be much more efficient. So that's called the transfer efficiency ratio. It's the ratio of the time of training required to get uh, some sort of specified skill improvement. So I think VR is going to be an, not only an effective means uh, of skill transfer, which is transferability, uh, but also an incredibly efficient one, which is really important uh, given that 40% uh, of our time now is spent on EMRs uh, and the number and complexity of the procedures we need to learn is just ballooning. There's an interesting study, <laughs> uh, just real quick. Uh, I mean, the data here is just so unbelievable. I, I almost don't want people to see it because I don't want them to be scared when they go to their physician. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a study that, that looks at the cases of general surgery residents graduating from their programs. And they had a sort of committee of program directors from across the country select all the procedures they thought that these residents needed to know before they went out into the real world. So they picked 121 procedures. And of those procedures, 
the actual numbers performed uh, for the vast majority were uh, one to two or sometimes none at all of these critical need to know procedures. So uh, it's just it's just a, a math problem that there's too much to know and too little time to learn it. Hey everyone, Tom here. I just want to take a quick break from this conversation to ask you to sign up for the MedTech Talk newsletter. For example, today we sent along information about Justin, a nice write-up about Justin's background, about his intentions. Also included some uh, some links to the videos that will show how uh, also VR's system is used. So it's really a great companion to the podcast. So just go to healthogy.com. That is the word health, followed by letters egy.com. You can sign up for our MedTech Talk newsletter there. Now back to this conversation. Now this would make this would make sense given with the video you're sort of being fed something at at a pace that's determined by somebody else. With the VR you can learn and sort of focus on what you want to focus on and and, and digest it in the way you digest it. And, and frankly, I mean, people learn in in many different ways, or people, many people different. I mean, many people learn in different ways. In that some people are more tactile, some people do better with the listening. So. It, it, what is the, the 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 hurdle here? Is there is there a lot of competition? Because it seems like the barrier to entry for this wouldn't be very high if there's there's many other companies out there that uh, I'm sure could could put something together if they had someone with the uh, the medical insights necessary to really help develop the programming. Yeah, I think um, I think we were very early in the space. Uh, we were lucky at identifying the potential uh, much sooner than anybody else. I think uh, people had some preconceived notions of what surgical VR should be like. Um, and so uh, because I, I got to the technology so early, I was able to see that, you know, I'd crossed this, what I call that fidelity threshold. Um, I think, you know, it, it's amazing how far kind of programming and game development has come. And it is much easier to kind of get this content off the ground. Um, but there, like I said, because we live in so many different buckets, you really need to have a just pretty unique team in order to effectively produce what we're making. And so I'll explain, I mean, on, on just the pure VR development front, interactive VR is quite challenging uh, to develop. And what we have to find is a balance between usability and realism so that someone who's never done this procedure before, or maybe never used VR before, and have a very good experience and get through and not only just get through it, but retain the information that they have. So that alone is a very challenging experience. So that's why our developers come from Electronic Arts, Activision, Zynga, uh, Nintendo, Microsoft. Um, you know, we're, we're not messing around in terms of the talent of our development team. And then there's, there's the medical side. So um, it's creating educational content with technology is, is quite challenging because um, there, there are two sort of variables you're dealing with. One is, what does the user need to know to do this procedure effectively? And in order to understand that, you need to really deeply understand uh, the clinical elements. Mm -hmm. So you can't just, uh, a lot of the educational technology companies and content out there that I experienced as a resident, I felt like I was reading a Wikipedia page that had just been pasted into an iPhone or a web page, and it was just like I was like, obviously, this person doesn't understand uh, the procedure in an intimate level, and is even very subtle use of language. Uh, surgeons could just immediately pick out it's like, oh, this this is not authentic, um, and they they'll check out because we we have just such a high level of skepticism mm -hmm. because the amount of information out there is is just so enormous that you have to have a really strong filter 
to know what's what's real and what's not. So that's a really critical element to speak the language and have an intimate understanding of what people need to know. And then there's what does this technology communicate really effectively? What can it do? What are the limitations? So the problem when you take, say you take like a really expert surgeon and just stick them, they're like, here's VR, like put something into it. They're going to put everything they think people need to know. But some of those things VR might not be great for. Some of those things VR might be amazing for. And so the emphasis is on all the wrong areas. So really by bridging that gap, by being able to communicate with the development team, by speaking their language, speaking the surgeon's language, that's what we're able to do. Um, when we work with our, the device companies that we're working with, it's just, it's a different experience for them too, because in the past, the, they've worked with kind of digital agencies who have this development capability, but they have to train a whole software team on, uh, you know, what is this device? What is this surgery? What, what is a surgeon? <laughs> like, what is a resident? Like, all this work for them. And, uh, you know, when they work with us, they're kind of just surprised at how, how much easier their lives are. So um, by, by being multidisciplinary, by being authentic, by bridging the gaps, uh, that's kind of how we maintain a moat around us. Uh, you know, I think I remember the one customer we're working with they actually said they you know, spoke with maybe like 10 to 20 companies. And the second that they met with us, they just stopped looking. They're like, we found it. It's, hmm. it's, it's not, not much of a, of a race here. Okay, well, I'm kind of curious to how the different communities have responded to this idea. So I'm going to just tick through some and, and you tell me what the response has been. First, let's start with the doctors, the physicians. What, what kind of responses do you get from them? It's been very variable. Um, some are very, uh, you know, a lot of times at technology conferences, I'll give a talk and, or uh, medical conferences and, and, you know, my peers will come running up and say, just thank you for addressing this problem. I feel like nobody's talking about it. And, uh, this is it's just a huge bottleneck for us getting new technology in. Um, so, you know, that's, that's been a lot of it. And then, you know, like I said, like we're a skeptical people. Uh, we have a pretty strong filter. So there's a lot of sort of this will never work. Uh, I don't believe in this technology. And I'm like, look, just put the headset on. It doesn't cost you anything. It's like a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. And I would say every time people are like, oh, whoa okay, that's, that's not what I thought it would be. This is, this is amazing. I remember uh, this one joint surgeon from Harvard. He is uh, a joint surgeon for 30 years, never played a video game in his life. Um, he said that he had no problem using it. He was, he was very surprised at the realism and uh, pretty excited about where I was going. And the, the flip was amazing. And, and that, so that, I would say, is probably the biggest challenge mm -hmm. of working in the VR space, especially amongst such a skeptical user group, um, is that, you can't explain it to anyone. You can, you can show them videos, you can do mixed reality. Um, you can do all these different ways to kind of, kind of give them an idea of what it's like, but until you put that headset on and get your hands behind the wheel, uh, there's no other real way to, to know what it's going to be like. Even um, you know, a lot of times people will watch other people using it while we're doing demonstrations uh, for hours. Sometimes and they'll, they'll finally use it and say, wow, that was, I, I thought I knew what this would be like from just having watched it so much, but uh it's, it's way more impressive when, when you're in there uh, and it was impressive already. Is the response um, generational? Are, are younger people more apt to adopt it while older people aren't or is that an unfair generalization? I, I think that's a fantastic question. I, I don't have hard numbers. I could tell you um, sort of just gestalt wise that there probably is a little bit of that going on where you do have younger people more comfortable with controllers and things like that. But 
we've been really surprised, uh, kind of, you know, we'll get, a uh, older generation people behind it to say they've never touched a video game, that it's, this is going to be a complete disaster. And they really don't have a problem at all. And they, they love it. So I would say it's way, way less than we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, there definitely is a little bit of that there, but, uh, it, it's not as big of a factor as we thought of at all. Interesting. So the next group, the big device companies, what, what kind of reaction are you getting from them? I uh, just, I mean, just pure unadulterated excitement. Like this is going <laughs> to change everything. This is obviously where it's all going. Things like that. Um, so you know, often they're reaching out to us uh, through the website or at events. Um, it's been from a sales and marketing perspective, a pretty awesome experience so far. I know people always say it sells itself, but I really feel like it does. Um, I think you know, device companies are such an awesome group of people and it's so great to work with them um, because they create the technology that we use every day that enables our quality of life to be so high. And, you know, people don't think about them. They think about them as these kind of like monolith companies. And, you know, you never think of companies as as kind of like wanting to help people, but Mm -hmm. at device companies, it's, you know, they have patients come in and talk about how the devices that they made changes their lives. Like they really care about patients and and making people's lives better and doing the right thing. So, um, it's really, it's been, I don't, I think one of the favorite groups I've ever worked with in, in my long career of kind of trying to help people. And so I, I think everyone's really excited because they know that this is going to make their customers uh, kind of use their devices uh, in the ways that they were intended so that uh, patients get, uh, patients do better. Their devices are, are put in a better light. Um, and everyone's just really excited about kind of rolling it out there. I think because VR is new, they're, they're, are some questions about like the infrastructure and logistics and the support. So that's why we take those questions marks out for them. And, you know, our director of marketing comes from Medtronic where he uh, led their digital education and digital health innovation and strategy for the spine and pain group. Um, and he actually, uh, it was kind of this first of its kind medical education platform called uh, catalyst when not a lot of other companies were creating educational apps. Um, so, you know, having that, uh, with us and be like, look, you know, we've been in your shoes before we've created uh, medical education platforms from scratch when no one else was doing it. Uh, you know, we can walk you through um, and remove any obstacles or blockers that may be in your way. How about uh, hospitals? Have you interacted with them at all? Very little. Um, and we're, we're starting to ramp up. And I would say that, you know, I was at, uh, I was at the hospital for special surgery the other day. I was just, showing it to them in their bioskills lab. And they're like, Oh, well, how much does this cost? I'm like, well, you know, I guess you could just buy it on Amazon and you know, our software is free for you guys. And they just, they just did it that day. Um, so it's, you know, and they were saying that they're going to buy it for all of their residents and that this is going to be great. Cause you know, I, I could say that in terms of a, a teaching facility, um, you know, especially if it's a large one, everybody uses different devices or different techniques. So, you know, as a resident, you're jumping between all these different surgeons and you have to know how to basically a different device, even if it's the same surgery, like a knee replacement is like a completely different procedure. So being able to rapidly get up to speed so that whenever you're in it with an attending, you're going to know exactly what to do. It's just going to be a game changer for that surgeon and everyone in the room uh, to have someone who's just useful and not just dead weight. Um, also, as a resident, there's something called the trust curve. Uh, I may have made this up, but I, I came up with this in my residency. But you know, when when you're when you're a surgeon and you have someone in there uh, who you've never met before, you've never seen them operate. 
you want to observe them for a period of time before you let them touch, uh, you know, your patient who is like your entire career is based on how these people do. And, you know, the worst thing is to go home knowing that you harm somebody, and you know, by letting this person operate on them, if, if they make a mistake, that's on you. So you'll often kind of maybe not let them do anything for a few weeks or just like kind of just grill them and quiz them until like maybe the last couple of weeks of the rotation, you're finally like, okay, you could do a couple of things. And that's really all the hands-on experience you get as a resident is that sort of like that final push on the trust curve. So I'm hoping that not only the technical learning curve, but if you as a surgeon know that this resident has technically demonstrated that they're able to do what you need them to do, that will just really speed up the process and kind of get them in the zone uh, a bit earlier. And final, and this, and I'll kind of ask a question along with asking about the group. I'm wondering about investors. You raised some money. You raised two million in seed financing from Signal File. I'm sorry, Signal Fire, and uh, a group called Anorak Ventures. Mm-hmm. And what are what are what's the reaction you're getting from from investors? And in that answer, talk again about your business model because you, you just mentioned that basically that the the, the that um, hospital was able to get it for, for free are you are you mainly being paid by the device companies as a service and you're not selling the system or is it a combination of both um yeah so um i guess i'll, I'll start with your first question um working with signifier and anorak has been awesome they're really great investors and um i think this is fundraising is a very interesting process and uh, it was even more interesting than usual, I think, because the space is moving so, so fast. So you got to see some of the kind of market dynamics as we were doing our fundraising, where very early on, this just didn't exist. So this wasn't a, a market or a thing, and nobody even know, knew that this was a problem, uh, most of the, the, the firms I went to. Um, and so there, there was no real data or a thought on how big this could be. So there's a lot of skepticism early on, but I would say very quickly things started heating up a bit in the space and the table flipped a little bit and some people started reaching out to us. So um, I would say it was, it was kind of a hard sell early on and then more of a turning people down towards the end, um, which was really exciting. And I, I think this is a space that is heating up. This is uh, obviously to everybody going to become very standard in medicine. And it, it's crazy that it's not yet um, very soon. And a critical aspect of uh, you know what is uh, 40 to $50 billion global market by 2020. Um, so I think this is something that's just on the verge of blowing up and uh, everybody's really feeling that way. Um, in terms of our business model, we, we really tried to stay focused on where are we providing maximum value right now? And that's really to device companies uh, as a way to maximize their patient outcomes and, and uh, kind of improve that first case experience and improve the adoption rate um, and the return on their education. So these companies are spending tens and tens of millions of dollars on training surgeons, which is a great cause because you want your surgeons to do well for patients, but it's just not getting the results that they need. Uh, so by bridging that gap, they just really uh, exponentially increase the return on their education, improve patient outcomes uh, and adoption. And so because that, that value is just so disproportionate compared to any other segment, we've just been laser focused on that. So, you know, surgeons, hospitals right now can all get access to our stuff for free because uh, we want people using our training modules and, and giving us feedback and data on that. Um, and we work with device, device companies to, for supporting the content that we develop for them and rolling it out. Down the road, we do have training packages 
um, and curriculum that we're going to be offering uh, for training programs. Um, for me, it's really important to keep this free uh, for surgeons mm-hmm. so that, you know, anybody anywhere, regardless of their means, uh, can have the ability to provide maximum care for their patient. You know, like uh, I, I've been on medical missions to uh, Colombia, uh, down Mexico. Um, you know, it's these surgeons are incredibly skilled and knowledgeable, but they don't have access to these courses that we do. So um, just, you know, access to software can dramatically change their and their patients' lives. And um, it, it seems like there should be just zero barrier to accessing that. And then I could just tell you as surgeons and surgeons in training, we're, we're pretty poor people. So the willingness to pay for educational content is just low anyway. So it's just that it's not worth it, I think, from a business model perspective to try and nickel and dime a these people who are still paying off their med school loans until mm-hmm. they're like 50 or 60. Interesting. Final question. And this is, uh, requires you to put on your, your CEO cap. Uh, you're a, you're a practicing pediatric orthopedic surgeon. You've got a bioengineering degree. Uh, your co-founder is a veteran game developer. You've got folks from Medtronic. Uh, you've got an interventional cardiologist as a, as a product manager, and then you go down the, the, the list at also VR, you've got uh, game, you've got uh, experienced design directors. This is a real interesting collection of talents. And uh, I wonder how you bring everyone together and, and sort of what is your identity? Is your identity a healthcare company? Is it a, a virtual reality company? Is it a tech company? How do you define yourselves? Um, wow, that's just such an awesome question. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with how do we bring everyone together? Um, and I was, I was interviewing Ariel, who's our senior technical artist, who's just, he's ridiculously incredible. And, you know, we're, we're having kind of our final interview and he, he kind of asked me that question. He's like, you know, what's the most important thing, uh, to, to the company, like from your perspective, like what, what is the you know highest priority? And I, I just said, without like hesitating, I said, patient safety. And I think for him and for everyone on the team, this is a pretty unique position to be in where it's, it's just our impact on people is, is very noticeable and direct. And, and we all have a sense of mission that, you know, we all come from very different backgrounds um, and different experience and talent and, and skill set, but we're all, we're all helping people um, and mission driven. And so, it, you know, I learned that really from, not only medicine, but within pediatrics, mm-hmm. the, being mission-driven is huge. You know, no one goes into peds to make money. We go in to help children because it's the right thing to do. And I think this company, for, for me and for everyone that joins, they know it's the right thing to do. Um, and so I would say we have no problem connecting over that. Um, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, how to, how to unite us on that, you know, our, like I said, our, our value is authenticity. We're, we're just we're the real deal. We're all straightforward with each other. And we all know what's on the line that, you know, people are relying on us to produce something that they're going to bring to their patients. Um, and we can't afford to, to not be AAA, to be best in class, um, and also just honest and straightforward. Um, and so our customers tell us that, that it's just, we're, we're just down to earth and we're just here to, to do our job um, and to make people better. That's a great mission. And I just want to final, final question going forward. Orthopedics is your focus right now. What is the long-term goal? Do you get into many different disciplines sooner or later? What, what kind of pace do you see this? Uh, how do you see this unfolding? Um, I say 
probably sooner rather than later. So we're already exploring spaces outside of orthopedics. Um, you know, the cardiac interventional device space is, is suffering from these same technical challenges and hurdles. Um, neurosurgery, ENT, urology, um, everything's moving into a much more device focused uh, area. And then, uh, you know, robotic surgery uh, is obviously growing by the year. And um, there's the, the learning curve there is, is, is quite high. So um, in terms of surgical technology that requires a large amount of training, it's, it's really green field. And so uh, we're really excited to sort of just uh, explode and network into these uh, uh, spaces outside of really our initial focus that we're just dominating at the moment. Terrific. Great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, to tell us about the company. I'll make sure your website's available. It's osovr.com. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to watching your story unfold. Awesome, Tom. It's just super honored to be a part of the podcast and uh, great talking with you. Terrific. Thank you so much, Justin. And that's a wrap, everybody. Justin Broad, thanks so much for being on the podcast, for sharing OsoVR's story. I look forward to uh, seeing where this goes. This virtual reality and medtech is a fascinating subject, and uh, it's only just beginning. So let's let's uh, keep in touch. MedTech Talk podcast listeners, once again, always great to have you here. If you uh, would like to reach out to me, my email is tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by letters egy.com. I'm also on Twitter, at MedTechTom. Reach out to me there. Let me know how we're doing with the podcast how we're doing with the conference, or how MedTech is doing in general. I'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, give us a ranking on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on. That would be a great help. And of course, just, uh, just tell your friends. The more people listening, the better. Finally, we ask you just to return. Tune in next week for another Tale of Innovation on the MedTech Talk podcast.